The Secret Church Podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For the Secret Church 13 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC13. This is Secret Church 13, Episode 4. Leads us right into the return of Christ. Why would you stop there? Okay. So right where we left off thematically, the author of Hebrews says, just as it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So scripture's clear. This is going to set the stage for everything else we talk about tonight. That the one event that's going to bring about the culmination of all these things, the end of the intermediate state, final judgment, final resurrection, end of the world, so to speak. The decisive event that's going to bring all, about, all that about is the return of Christ. It's one of the most clear truths in all of Scripture. What we know, Jesus is coming back. This is one of the most widely taught doctrines in all the New Testament. I've listed numerous references here that make it clear. Jesus came once and Jesus is coming back. Matthew 24, then will appear in heaven the Son of Man, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. They will gather his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. When Jesus sent into heaven, angels told the disciples, Acts 1.11, this Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And that promise just rings throughout the rest of the New Testament. You look at all those verses. New Testament ends in the book of Revelation with a three-pole promise from Christ saying, behold, I'm coming soon. Behold, I'm coming soon. Surely I'm coming soon. And the Bible ends with the words, amen, come Lord Jesus. So the Bible's clear. Jesus is coming back. The Bible's also clear that Jesus' return will be unexpected. No one but God knows when he will return. According to Jesus in Matthew 24, the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. It's going to come like a thief in the night, Paul and Peter both say. His return will be visible. Every eye will see him, Revelation 1-7. And his return will be personal. I'm coming back for you, Jesus told his disciples in John 14. He's coming back for his people, who Hebrews 9 said are eagerly waiting for him. His return will be glorious when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. So follow this. Jesus came the first time lying in a manger. He's going to come the second time riding on the clouds. Jesus came the first time in humility to provide salvation. He's coming the next time in glory to execute judgment. So the things are the things we know about Christ's return. Truths that are clear all across Scripture, agreed upon among Christians. But there are some things we don't know that various followers of Christ, we're in tertiary doctrines here now, disagree on. And you'll get different answers from different Christians, pastors, theologians when you ask questions like this. When is Jesus coming back? Now, obviously, we've already noticed, we've already noted that Scripture itself tells us that nobody but the Father knows this. But at the same time, many passages in Scripture talk about certain events that are going to happen before Christ returns, certain signs that will be fulfilled. So that's led all kinds of people to take the Bible, try to figure out little details about when this or that is going to happen, and base conclusions on that, even predicting exact dates. I remember when I was younger, hearing about a book called 88 Reasons Why Christ is Returning in 1988. So what, what do you do if you're celebrating New Year's Day with that guy in 1989? Hey, what, what do you say to Happy New Year just doesn't seem appropriate to him? Remember Harold Camping predicting the world would end on Saturday, May 21st, 2011? When that didn't happen, he changed his prediction. October 21st, he just made a slight miscalculation. Come October 22nd, it was time for Harold to hang it up. So, so you got that, but it's not just crazy people. There's a sense in which all of us as Christians, there's a good and healthy biblical anticipation of Jesus' return that sees what Scripture says about things that are going to happen before Christ returns and says, has this happened? So we start to ask the question, what signs have been fulfilled? When we look in Scripture, what Christ teaches, what the New Testament teaches about will or what must happen before Christ returns, we see things like the preaching of the gospel to all nations and conversations about his return. Mark 13, 9 and 10, the gospel must be proclaimed to all nations. The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So has this happened or not? Well, 
It depends on how you understand all nations, how you interpret the specific context behind Jesus' words in Matthew 24, Mark 13. Some people say it was preached to all nations in the first century and he can come back any day. Some people say the gospel's not been preached to all nations, so he couldn't come back any day. Well, okay, how do you do that? Well, then you see the New Testament talk about the Great Tribulation, a subject that we're going to dive into in greater detail tonight, but you just talked about suffering that would, according to Mark 13, be the beginning of birth pains. Then he said later, in those days, there will be such tribulation as not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. It says the same thing in Matthew 24, right after the words we just read above. So has that happened? Has there been a great tribulation like this? Are we in a great tribulation like this? You just talked about false prophets and miracle workers who would come in the days preceding his return. Some claiming to be Christ themselves. So have these false prophets and miracle workers come on the scene of human history? Is this a general reference to false prophets and teachers or a specific reference to certain false prophets and teachers? Then Jesus talks about sign in the heavens, signs in the heavens that would precede his coming, Mark chapter 13. And that day, in those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give its light, will not give its light, the stars will be falling from heaven, the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Same teaching in Matthew 24, Luke 21. So has this happened? Is that to be understood literally or symbolically? Then the Bible talks about the coming of the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness or sin, rebellion. You read about this in 2 Thessalonians 2, this man of lawlessness who's going to come, the Antichrist. So what does that mean? Who's that talking about? You look in the history of the church, you see the church all over the place trying to identify who the Antichrist is in different time periods. You look at the Protestant Reformation, many reformers believe that the Pope was the Antichrist. Others have said Hitler was, or Napoleon, or Mussolini. In the 80s, the 1980s, it was the Soviet Union led by Mikhail Gorbachev, and the mark of the beast was that thing on his head. But amidst all our speculation, we need to see clearly the Antichrist, what the Bible says about the Antichrist, specifically in relation to Christ. It's Antichrist. So some Christians believe that this is going to be a specific person. Other Christians believe this is symbolic of a particular system or government, even a world system that's set up against Christ. And in the end, that's the point. When you look at what Scripture says about a man of lawlessness, sin, rebellion, you see that he or it or whatever's meant by this is directly opposed to Christ. Think about it. The New Testament teaches the Spirit of Christ is on Christians as a guarantee of his future coming. Romans 8, Ephesians 1. When the Bible talks about the Antichrist, we learn the Spirit of the Antichrist is in the world as a guarantee of his future coming. That's what John says in 1 John chapter 4. Similarly, the Christ was preceded and accompanied by a true prophet, John the Baptist, Matthew 3. Likewise, the Bible teaches that the Antichrist will be preceded and accompanied by a false prophet. Listen again. You look at 1 John 2 right there and then Revelation 13. Many people believe the first beast spoken of in Revelation 13 is the Antichrist and the second beast is a false prophet that encourages devotion to the Antichrist. You keep going, the Bible teaches that Christ, the Christ obviously speaks truth, John 8, but the Antichrist will spread deception, John, 2 John 7. The Christ builds the temple, the church, of which he's the cornerstone, Ephesians 2. Then the Antichrist stands in the temple claiming to be its center in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So how you understand who or what the Antichrist is is obviously going to factor into your understanding of when Jesus will return for the coming of the Antichrist will precede his return. Then you got the salvation of Israel addressed as a sign to be fulfilled. Some believe before the return of Christ. Others believe during a millennial reign of Christ. Romans 11 seems to indicate a massive ingathering of the Jewish people who believe, who will believe in Jesus as the Messiah. So when's that going to happen? And how does that relate to the return of Christ? Now, at this point, I want to be clear that we can spend an entire secret church talking about salvation of Israel, role of Israel in the end times. But in light of the breadth, depth of some of these more general categories, we're just not going to have time to do that tonight. And I realize some may be disappointed by that. And you can't even hardly fathom thinking about the end of the world without factoring in the role of Israel in this. And in a sense, that's, that's true, which is why I want to bring this to light here. But I also want us to make clear that there's, 
there's much question among Christians about who Israel is and what role Israel plays in all of this. And in the end, I believe it's, it's, it's possible for us biblically to dive into all these issues we're talking about without trying to solve all the questions about Israel. So here's my summary at this point. First, all Christians believe in a future for Israel. That's certain in Scripture. At the same time, many Christians disagree on the identity of Israel. So are the promises for Israel that we see in the Old Testament and New Testament, particularly in relation to the end times, are these promises a reference to an ethnic people, the Jewish people scattered around the world? Are these referenced to a national state? No question. Israel's independence was declared in 1948. That has fueled speculation about the end times and affected political views even regarding the nation of Israel. So is Israel referenced in Scripture as a national state? Ethnic peoples that are referenced to the church. Some people believe the church is the true Israel that Scripture speaks about. Or is Israel ultimately simply a reference to Christ? Have all of God's promises to and about Israel been fulfilled in Christ? Now, my purpose in raising these questions is just to put them out there, not to say, here's the answer. But they all relate to our understanding of the return of Christ. Because like we mentioned, Romans 9-11 through talks about an ingathering of Israel. So what are we to conclude about that? And for now, I simply want to put on a a few conclusions on the table that we know for sure in Scripture. Number one, we know as Christians, as followers of Christ, we are heirs of a Jewish promise that goes all the way back to Abraham in the Old Testament. Romans 4, Galatians 3, Colossians 2 and 3 make that clear. Second, we are saved by a Jewish Messiah. He is the true vine, John 15, and we we as God's people are the branches who are connected to Christ the Messiah. And ultimately, yes, 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. We're heirs of a Jewish promise. We're saved by a Jewish Messiah. And then third, we are passionate about Jewish mission. Mission. Just as Paul was passionate about Jewish mission in Romans 9, we long for all peoples, all nations to come to Christ, which includes a longing for the Jewish people to come to Christ. We long for Jewish men and women to come to know Jesus as the Messiah. And we work toward that end. And as we work toward that end, we're making disciples of all nations. So you put all this together and you realize that the return of Christ, though absolutely clear and taught in Scripture, is shrouded by questions concerning timing. Have all these signs been fulfilled? If not, what still needs to be fulfilled before he returns? That actually leads to another question that's often debated. Is the second coming of Christ one event or two? Now, some of you didn't even know this was a question. This is going to make you all the more confused. But there's some people who believe the coming of Christ is actually two events. First, a secret coming for his church before the tribulation. This is referred to commonly as the rapture, when Jesus will come a first time in secret to rapture his church from the world. If you've read Left Behind, seen the movie, whatever, or all 20 volumes of it, that's, that's, the, that's the idea behind that. Secret coming for the church before the tribulation. Then, after that, there'll be a second public coming of Christ with his church after the tribulation. So you're just going to come back a second time after the tribulation. We'll talk about tribulation later. Contrast to that position, those who say the return of Christ is one event, a single moment when Jesus returns for his church. So you've got questions here about the timing of Christ's return, the nature of Christ's return, and then you've got the question, could Jesus come back at any moment? You put all this together based on what you believe about signs that have or have not been fulfilled, based about what you believe about his second coming, his coming in one event or two, this will affect whether or not you believe Jesus could literally come back at this moment. And this is where I would say, even if, even if you believe some of these signs we've not talked about, maybe all these signs we've talked about have not yet been fulfilled, you'd at least have to admit that Scripture seems to teach that Jesus could possibly come at any time. Just listen to the language of the New Testament. Philippians 4, the Lord is at hand. Titus 2, James 5, Jude, we're waiting for our blessed hope. We're patient until his coming. And people say, well, the Bible was written 2,000 years ago. Jesus hasn't returned, so why should we be seriously anticipating his return today? And if you ask me that, I'll say to you, first of all, well, clearly we're 2,000 years closer. (laughs) That's good news. 
And two, don't miss it. This is, I think this is why Scripture talks about the second coming like it does. The Bible talks about this doctrine in such a way that it fills the hearts of believers in every generation with anticipation of this event to come. I love the way George Ladd, great New Testament theologian, puts this. He said, the prophets were little interested in chronology, and the future was always viewed as imminent. The Old Testament prophets blended the near and the distant perspectives so as to form a single canvas. Biblical prophecy is not primarily three-dimensional, but two. It has height and breadth, but is little concerned about depth, i.e. the chronology of future events. The distant is viewed through the transparency of the immediate. It is true that the early church lived in expectancy of the return of the Lord, and it is the nature follow this. It's the nature of biblical prophecy to make it possible for every generation to live in expectancy of the end. So that leads up to what we do now. In light of the clarity we have about Christ coming back, amidst the confusion about what's going to happen around that, what do we do now? Well, first, we trust in the authority of Christ. The word's clear. Jesus is coming back. We know the things of this world are passing, but the truth of his word is permanent. So we may not know the future, but the sovereign God of the universe not only knows the future, he holds it in his hand, and he's going to bring all of his purposes to pass. So we trust in the authority of Christ. Second, we persevere in the power of Christ. In all these passages where Jesus talks about his second coming, his point is to encourage his disciples to persevere in their faith. He tells his followers that they will face deception. Followers of Jesus will face tribulation. Jesus makes clear in passages like Matthew 24, Christians are not saved from trials. Christians are saved through trials. Jesus is saying, when it gets harder for you in this world, trust in me. Followers of Jesus will face temptation. You'll be tempted, Jesus says, not to trust God. You will be tempted to grow cold in your love for God. And followers of Jesus will face persecution. They will deliver you up to tribulation, put you to death. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Jesus is telling his disciples that because they bear his name, they're going to experience persecution, specifically because they proclaim his name. Persecution. Follow this. Persecution inevitably follows kingdom proclamation. I hope this is one of the truths that God, God seals in our hearts tonight, particularly in an event like this when we're praying for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. Persecution follows proclamation. Think about it. If you stay silent about Christ, you will not face resistance for Christ in this world. If our brothers and sisters right now in the Middle East, for example, stay silent, about their faith in Christ. They say nothing about Christ. They will not face resistance. They will not be persecuted. When will they be persecuted? They'll be persecuted when they speak the gospel, when they proclaim Christ as the resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords, and they call people to submit to him. That's when persecution will come just like that. The more we proclaim Christ in this world, the harder it will be for us in this world. Persecution inevitably follows kingdom proclamation, but then don't miss it. Matthew 24, 14, proclamation inevitably results in kingdom consummation. Regardless of how you define nations when the end will come, the reality is Jesus is teaching that the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all nations. That will result in the consummation of the kingdom. So let's preach the kingdom to the nations. Trust in the authority of Christ, persevere in the power of Christ, as, proclaim the gospel of Christ as we anticipate the coming of Christ. Anticipate his coming. So may it be on our hearts, Christians. I think about when my wife was about to have a baby this last November. We're waiting with anticipation on a daily basis for our son to come. I'd ask her every day, babe, how do you feel? She's like, I'm fine. I told you that five minutes ago. Every moment I was at the office, I had my phone with me, just looking, waiting for her to call. I'd check it periodically just to make sure I hadn't missed anything. It affected where I went, how and when I traveled, everything I did. And it's not that I stopped and put all of my life on hold, but I lived all of my life with a constant anticipation that each day could be the day and any moment could be the moment. And I lived like that because I couldn't wait. With each passing day, I knew I was getting closer and closer to seeing this person that I could not wait to express love and affection for. So Christian, see the coming of Christ like this.
and thinking, looking, waiting, longing for this one that we're going to see. We anticipate the coming of Christ, Matthew 24, knowing his delay will be long. So all the passages in Scripture talk about how there will be waiting involved. His return will be sudden. His return will be sudden. You you see Matthew 24 talks about people in the days of Noah. They're eating, drinking, marrying, and all of a sudden this flood comes. So there's going to be a day when people are going to be eating lunch, enjoying company, going through their routine. All of a sudden, to their surprise, Christ is going to return. So beware of thinking the day-to-day stuff in this world, in our lives, will last. One day it's all going to be turned upside down. Suddenly. His judgment will be irreversible on that day. Our hearts will be exposed. The true nature of our hearts before God will come to light. Nothing hidden, everything revealed. And our sentence may be surprising. That's why I put Matthew 7 here. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father is heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not do all these things? And I will tell them, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Hear this. Many people will be shocked to stand before Jesus one day and hear him say, I never knew you. Though they thought they were on the broad road that leads to heaven, they were at, narrow road that leads to heaven, they were actually on the broad road that leads to hell. And so, and so I urge you, like this, those verses haunt me as a pastor to think that there may be scores of people sitting in church on Sunday who may be shocked to stand before Jesus one day and hear him say, I never knew you. Our sentence may be surprising, and on that day our lives will stand alone. Matthew 24 says one person will be standing in the field, and one will be taken, one will be left. We must be prepared. And so I ask you tonight, are you keeping watch for Christ? You look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 Peter 3, Revelation 3, Revelation 6, 16, all of them talk about how Jesus is going to come like a thief, which is kind of an interesting illustration for thinking about the return of Christ. But the point's clear. If you know a thief's coming to your house tonight, you don't go to sleep. You, you, you do something about that. You don't just stay in some stupor. Are you keeping watch? Are you faithfully following Christ? When he comes back, are you going to be found walking in obedience or disobedience? Are you going to be found passionately devoted to your spouse or practically negligent of your spouse? Are you going to be found holding on to sin or running away from sin? Are you going to be found following Christ to the end? This is why Jesus always is encouraging his disciples. The New Testament, when it's talking about the second coming of Christ, is saying persevere because the kingdom of God is not for those who simply respond to an invitation, make a confession, or express some affection at some point in time. The picture is the kingdom of heaven is for those who endure in salvation. Matthew 24, the one who endures to the end will be saved. We'll talk about that a little bit later. So hold on to that. Are you faithfully following Christ? Are you serving Christ with what he has given you? You look at this parable in Matthew 25 when he's talking about his second coming and you see Jesus is our master. We're his stewards. So when he comes, will you be committed in your love for Christ or will you be condemned in your laziness before Christ? These are serious questions we need to wrestle with. You look at the church at Thessalonica. They had grabbed on this belief in the second coming so much so that people were starting to quit their jobs and say, well, Jesus is coming back. I don't need to have a job. And Paul writes him a letter and he says, get a job. You don't stop working. So, so don't be lazy. Love. Are you serving Christians that God has put around you? This is the passage in Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Are you serving Christians? Not because you want to get to heaven, because Jesus has changed your heart. Sacrificial service is not a means of earning salvation. Sacrificial service is a necessary, necessary evidence of, of salvation. So are you serving Christians around you? And all of this leads to, in the end, when Christ returns, his timing will confound our wisdom. We will see, in the end, that the Father's timing made perfect sense. His church, our lives, will accomplish his mission. Oh, let's preach the gospel to the nations. We've seen Matthew 24, 14. I can't improve on George Ladd's words. 
Gospel of the kingdom proclaim the whole world is the testimony in all nations, then the end will come. George Ladd says, God alone knows the definition of terms here. I cannot precisely define who all the nations are, but I do not need to know. I know only one thing. Christ has not yet returned, therefore the task is not yet done. When it's done, Christ will come. Our responsibility is not to insist on defining the terms. Our responsibility is to complete the task. So long as Christ does not return, our work is undone. So let us get busy and complete our mission. His return will exceed our expectations in the end. You ever get your hopes up for something, then when it actually comes and it wasn't all that you thought it would be? Not so. Nothing to worry about this with the second coming of Christ, which is why the biblical authors cry, Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources at Radical.net.